West End Abbey is a contemplative vineyard church in the West End of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. This is a homily from one of our services. A few years ago, uh, before we had kids and before uh, plane travel was restricted and all the rest of it, Jennifer and I had a chance to go to Turkey. Have any of you been to Turkey, by the way? You've probably eaten Turkey, but maybe you haven't been to the country of Turkey. So that was our it was our first trip, and we had a special plan to go to a place called Cappadocia, which, as it turns out, is a pretty wonderful place in Christian history as well. But at the time, I wasn't so steeped in that at the time. Um, so we did see some wonderful like cave churches, churches that were hewn into the cave with frescoes on the walls and all this kind of stuff. Um, but kind of the highlight for us, at least, was going in a hot air balloon, a hot air balloon ride over what they call like fairy chimneys. There are these rock formations that look like fairy chimneys. And uh, yeah, I had a great time seeing the landscape at like six in the morning at sunrise. And then one of the other things that they recommend that you do in Cappadocia is go on like a walk through the through the valley. There are lots of trails that you can hike through where you're just like in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing except these rock formations and the odd church in a cave, like for miles and miles and miles, you know. So Jennifer and I went um, in one afternoon, we found the entrance to one of these hiking trails, walked through and somehow, my fault, obviously, we got like totally lost and I couldn't figure out where we were or how to get out of where we were. And meanwhile, the sun is setting. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's like nobody around. There are all these crazy rock formations. Um, I think we may have had a phone, but of course, like, I don't know who to call. And I didn't even know if we had service at the time. We had a bottle of water that we were sharing that was like slowly diminishing to the very bottom. And I was really getting quite stressed but didn't want to let on that I was as stressed as I was lest it cause Jennifer stress. <laughs> so we're trying to navigate this map, um, are completely lost, are almost out of water, the sun is almost setting, there are no lights there, our phone service is dying, our phone batteries are dying, and I, I was not sure what was going to happen. And then, like, out of the blue, like like some kind of revelation was a massive group of Koreans. They just came like out of nowhere. And I was like, I could hug and kiss every single one of these Koreans on this tour group, you know? And so we found the kind of the tour leader and asked them if we could go with them out of this valley, this, this place that we were. And they had a tour bus, you know? For some reason, they had to consult with one another, like if we could go on the tour bus. I don't know if, like even if there was no space, I would have happily sat on the roof of this bus if need be. But we did get on the bus and we got out with the Koreans um, from the valley. And that was like, yeah, it was like a microcosm of probably what Jesus is experiencing in this passage when he is driven by the spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness is not a pleasant place as our little our, our little foray into it you know was was an experience of being unpleasant um, but imagine if you were in the middle of nowhere 
with no phone. Uh, they didn't have phones in that time anyway, in the time of Christ. No street lights, no GPS, no people, no food, no water, no nothing. And you are there for, for an extended period of time, long enough that it feels to you that the isolation is like seeping into your pores. You're beginning to get dehydrated and hungry. You are beginning to fear for your life because of wild animals that are likely going to come preying on you at night and prowling around. Maybe you can hear the calls of these animals howling at night. Um, this is a place of loneliness, of death, of fear, of darkness. In, in a word, it is Satan's realm. And actually, in those days, people often did think that demons were attracted dark forces were attracted to places like the desert, that that's where they wandered and lived. And so it was like for Jesus to be in the wilderness was not only to be in these very terrible circumstances, but to also, to almost in a way be in the enemy's realm on the enemy's turf. And you can imagine the suspense that that creates as people begin to hear like, oh my goodness, Jesus is, is in the wilderness. He's facing his demons, facing the demons, facing the enemy on the enemy's territory. So that's the setting for this portion of the gospel reading today, which is also the first Sunday of Lent. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning and very interest, interesting in a way that it's the spirit who drives Jesus to this place. This is the same spirit that descends upon Jesus in the, in the, in the flight of a dove, that is associated with the affectionate, approving, identifying voices, voice of his father. It's the same spirit who lands on Jesus at his baptism that moments later drives Jesus into the wilderness. And the word drives is actually probably too weak a word. In the original Greek, it's more like flung. It's the word used uh, to exercise demons when demons are expelled. That's the same word that the Spirit is doing to Jesus into the wilderness. So I'm not sure. Was Jesus not wanting to go? Is that why the Spirit needed to drive him out? We don't have that piece of context. But at the very least, it's interesting to me, somewhat disturbing, somewhat mysterious, but nonetheless true that God seems to not only allow wilderness experiences, but sometimes flings us into them. <laughs> It feels like we're flung into them, you know. This is the case of Jesus. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. And that's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery as to why God would allow it, let alone drive Jesus into this place. Uh, that's the mystery of the problem of evil uh, in shorthand. Um, there are angels here in the Gospel of Mark records the presence of angels, but the angels are not there to prevent the wilderness or to help him bypass the wilderness. The angels are in the midst of the wilderness as an assurance that God somehow, even in the midst of Satan's realm and territory, is there, is nonetheless present, even if not preventing the wilderness, is present. And so Jesus here experiences the full spectrum of the wilderness. 40 days in the scriptures is often used as a phrase to connote 
a, a season of tribulation or trial or desolation. We don't know if it's necessarily literal or not. It's like, you know, when we say, it, oh, it took forever to drive to Steinbach, <laughs> for example. And we don't mean it literally, but we mean that it was like a desolation of an experience of a drive. How on earth anyone could ever do that on a daily basis is beyond us when we use those kinds of words, you know. So 40 days here is, is reminiscent of Noah, the story of Noah when the flood came upon the earth and there was 40 days and nights of rain and flood. Uh, it's reminiscent of the Israelites wandering through the desert for 40 years. It's not likely that someone was meticulously chronologically counting every day and every month and every year to see how long this experience was. But the idea is that this is a sustained painful, trying experience, 40 days. And in that time, not only is the duration painful, it's the fact that Satan is confronting Jesus and tempting him. Not in the sense like a sort of seduction, like we think of temptation, like the temptation to drink or, you know, sexual temptation or, or those kinds of things. But the word probably more properly means to suffer, like an extended experience of suffering in this case the suffering of somebody who's innocent who's just satan uh, engages jesus in an intense experience of suffering it's hard to know uh, i was telling doug rochelle and deanna this morning how to kind of ring out good news from a passage like this where it sounds bleak and hopeless where where we're talking about satan tempting jesus for 40 days and jesus with wild beasts you know um but nonetheless one of the things that encourages me greatly even if it doesn't solve all of my questions and address all of my pain is that jesus understands suffering that he has fully entered into, experienced, and empathizes with the full spectrum of the wilderness of human suffering. That's not to say Jesus knows what it feels like to go through COVID-19 and, and the, the precarious position you may find yourself in in COVID-19. But if you could uh, filter down some of the, the core emotions that COVID-19 or your life is bringing you, you know, I, I would almost bet there's something to do with loneliness and something to do with a social kind of aspect. There's something to do with provision and whether you'll have enough. There's something to do with danger and fear and horrors and unpredictability and the unknown. So even if Jesus hasn't experienced the specific details of what you have experienced and suffered, he has experienced the common denominator of all human suffering. Some of the things that I articulated earlier, that Jesus fully enters into, understands, and empathizes, empathizes with the wilderness. That somehow, and this is a mystery, God doesn't allow suffering to bypass God. Suffering doesn't even get a pass when it comes to God. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer of the Hebrews connects Jesus's suffering and empathy and understanding of the human experience with help. 
the writer of the Hebrews says, since people have flesh and blood, he, Jesus too, shared in their humanity in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When you feel afraid, alone, when you feel like death is crouching at your door, when your demons are chirping or shouting in your face, you can be sure by faith that Jesus has experienced that. And because he has experienced that, he knows how to help those who experience it. But it wouldn't be good news if this was just like a memory exercise. Oh, I remember that time Jesus went through the wilderness and he, he felt this suffering and that can bring me comfort now. He, he went through it. That's not good enough news that he only went through it. The full picture here is not only that he's experienced it, past tense, but that somehow through and in the presence of his spirit with you here today, he is actually with you now experiencing it. In the very situation of our world right now, he is with us experiencing the wilderness. With you in your own life, the journey that your own life is taking, by faith we say that Jesus is with you, that God is with you, that that's the kind of tattoo on his heart, that he is with us, that's his name. And if you've ever suffered, you know that a worse suffering is suffering alone. It's as if there's a layer of wound upon an already hurting, bleeding wound when you are suffering alone. It's like the, the picture of the good Samaritan who's, who's beaten and bleeding on the side of the road and nobody's looking. Or they're looking and they're not seeing. Or they're seeing and they're not coming. There's nobody accompanying you. That is a suffering worse than just suffering in and of itself. And there is, I think, good news in this that somehow, again, by faith, that we trust and we believe that in, in the very wilderness, in the very suffering, in the very trauma or difficulty that you are currently going through, Jesus has understanding of that and is with you in it is suffering with you. That God's presence with you in it is a form of grace. Grace in the wilderness. And not only that God's presence is grace, but that God also can give grace. That God promises to give you what you need in order to keep moving forward. That grace is sufficient and that strength can be made perfect in weakness is what St. Paul hears from God in his own suffering and the thorn in his flesh. So, in conclusion, and some of these things are mystery, God allows and sometimes even flings us into suffering God experienced, past tense, the full spectrum of suffering, all that Satan could conjure. 
He has walked that path. He's faced it and experienced it and felt it in his bones. In hunger pangs, in the howls of animals prowling around at night, and all the mental, emotional, physical things that come with that kind of experience. God understands suffering. God understands your suffering. And because he understands, because he has empathized, he can help. He, like the Korean tour bus, knows the way, knows the terrain. And finally, that he is with you in suffering, that he is and can give grace to you.